beyond. DamascusCitizens.org WJFF Jeffersonville. You're listening to Radio Catskill. This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard's Star Talk report highlights the gemmeted meteor shower on Monday night. From the Radio Catskill Farm and Country archives, Laura Silverman shares her secret ideas on holiday food gifts. Stephanie Phillips highlights winter hiking from an archived conversation with Lisa Phillips from Morgan Outdoors. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country here on Radio Catskill. But first, news headlines from NPR. From NPR News, I'm Barbara Klein. Parts of the Mid-South and Midwest are devastated after major thunderstorms spawning several tornadoes swept through overnight. Amina Alahi of member station WFPL reports buildings are destroyed and dozens of people in Kentucky are dead. Severe tornadoes caused widespread damage and casualties across Kentucky overnight, prompting Governor Andy Bashir to declare a state of emergency. In an early morning briefing today, Bashir said they were among the worst tornadoes in the Commonwealth's history. The primary tornado stayed on the ground for more than 200 miles in the state. He said the western city of Mayfield was, quote, devastated. Tens of thousands of Kentuckians were without power, and dozens were killed. Bashir said he activated support from the National Guard and Kentucky State Police, as well as the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet. He plans to travel to western Kentucky today. For NPR News, I'm Amina Elahi in Louisville. British health officials warn tougher restrictions may soon be needed to slow the spread of the Omicron coronavirus variant. They say it's likely to become the dominant strain in Britain within days. The U.S. Navy has fired the executive officer of a U.S. warship because he refused to be tested for COVID-19 and is unvaccinated. Officials say Commander Lucian Kins is the first naval officer to be fired for violating the Pentagon's vaccine mandate. Advocates and opponents of abortion rights in Texas both say yesterday's Supreme Court ruling signals a move to further limit abortions across the country. Pablo Aruspeña of member station KERA reports. The court ruled that Texas's restrictive abortion law can still be challenged, but left the law in effect. Camion Connor is the director of the Texas Equal Access Fund. We are just continuing to see this harsh reality affects the people in Texas who need the support of our state, federal, and local governments the most. Kyleen Wright with the Texans for Life Coalition says she's celebrating. That is evidence right there that they no longer see this as a protected right for women and that they are poised to, to right a wrong and to modernize our law. The ruling comes a day after a state judge ruled that the law violates the state's constitution. That has already been appealed. I'm Pablo Araspeña in Dallas. 
Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin rocket company successfully conducted its third human flight into space this morning. Six people are on board for the 10-minute mission, including the daughter of pioneering astronaut Alan Shepard and football star and TV host Michael Strahan. The booster returned to Earth safely shortly before the crew capsule tethered to three parachutes touched down in Texas. This is NPR. Support comes from Van Gorder's Furniture, featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles as well as rustic collections, with showrooms at Lake Wallenpopik, downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com. This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farm and Country. Coming up on today's show, Laura Silverman shares her secret ideas on holiday food gifts from a sweet dip into the Radio Catskill Farm and Country archives. From her segment, Now You Know, Stephanie Phillips highlights winter hiking from an archive conversation with Lisa Lyons from Morgan Outdoors. Morgan Outdoors is an underwriter for Radio Catskill. But first, here is Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk Report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. The Jimited Meteor Shower will peak on Monday and last into the pre-dawn hours of Tuesday. The Jimited's are considered one of the best meteor showers because the meteors are bright and many meteors can be seen at the peak. The parent body of the Jimited's is unique in that it is asteroidal. All other meteor showers have a cometary parent body. The source of the Geminids is a three-mile-wide rocky object named 3200 Phaethon. Phaethon originates from the asteroid belt, and every 1.4 years it swings very close to the Sun. Phaethon's orbit brings it well inside the orbit of Mercury, and the heat from the Sun fractures the rock, producing a stream of dust. This dust then enters Earth's atmosphere and burns up as meteors. The meteors from this shower will be few and far between in the early evening, but will intensify as evening gives way to late night. On a night with no moon, observers could see upwards of 60 meteors per hour. But this year, the waxing gibbous moon will be in the sky for most of the night. The moon will set around 2.45 a.m. Tuesday morning. This will leave several moon-free hours before sunrise to view the shower. It may be cold on Monday night, but the Geminid meteor shower will be worth it. Bundle up Monday night and go out to watch one of the more spectacular meteor showers of the year. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. 
For WJFF's Farm and Country, this is Laura Silverman of Glutton for Life bringing you What's Cooking? With the holidays upon us, you're probably consumed with figuring out who's been naughty and who's been nice and deciding on the best ways to reward everyone. This time of year can be so stressful and a trip to the mall doesn't do much to help that. In this era of chain stores and online ordering, a gift of something homemade and delicious really stands out. With just a little planning and a few quality ingredients, it's pretty simple to surprise and delight your friends and family. And it's quite satisfying to give something that you've made with your own two hands and with love. Cookies and gingerbread are a holiday tradition, but I prefer to make gifts of food that have a slightly longer shelf life. That way, they can still be enjoyed once all the tinsel has been put away. One thing I make every year that is hotly anticipated by everyone I know are caramels. If candy making seems way too daunting, let me let you in on a little secret. All it takes is a clip-on thermometer and a tireless stirring arm. And that doesn't even have to be your arm. I use the best butter and cream and organic corn syrup, and I make two flavors, the classic golden vanilla and a bittersweet chocolate one infused with spicy chili and my secret, a little espresso. I finish them both with a sprinkling of flaky sea salt that is so irresistible. I wrap them in pre-cut wrappers and pack them into coffee bags or glass jars. Just add a bow and they're good to go. For something sweet without all the added sugar, try making your own fruit leather. Friends wax poetic about the little rolls I give away, wrapped in parchment paper and tied up with a bit of kitchen twine. You can make a puree of almost any fruit, fresh or dried, and flavor it with spices and aromatics. Sometimes a little honey is called for. Some of my favorite flavor combinations include plum and cardamom, apple and chili, and dried apricot and vanilla. Spread the fruit puree in a thin layer on a baking sheet and dry it in your oven on its lowest setting. If you have a dehydrator, that works even better. Check it regularly until it achieves the desired leathery consistency. You don't want to let it go too long or it gets crispy. Keep it a little stretchy and sticky. Another snack I make is so addictive I've dubbed it crack. I always make an enormous quantity of these big crunchy mounds of buttery popcorn stuck together with maple syrup, spiked with cayenne, and studded with toasted pecans and tart dried cranberries. It hits that magic trifecta of sweet, salty, and spicy. And while it may not be a kale salad, it is on the healthier side. Or it would be if you could stop yourself from eating the entire batch. I recommend packing it up as quickly as possible in tins or wax paper baggies and giving it away. After all, isn't that what the holidays are all about? For more ideas, visit me at gluttonforlife.com. I'm Laura Silverman, and this has been WJFF's What's Cooking, the show about eating life up. The OutsideInstitute.org is Laura Silverman's webpage that has all her current activity. Good morning. This is Stephanie Phillips with Now You Know for Farm and Country. 
I'm asking Lisa Lyons from Morgan Outdoors to give us some recommendations for wintertime hiking. Lisa has 16 years experience selling equipment for hiking and other sports. I think the purpose behind the store was to have kind of an anchor for hiking and camping and snowshoeing in the winter that included the footwear, the outerwear, gears and supplies that you would need for that. But I've always wanted to have books and nature-themed things for children to play with and read and equip themselves with. So it's all of those things, too. Lisa, you kind of implied that you have winter goods mostly. Are you open all year round? Yep, we've always been open all year round. I happen to love winter more than any other season, so it was never an option in my mind to close in the winter. Lisa, if our listeners are going to take winter hikes, how should they dress? The common and very appropriate answer is with layers. Each person has a different level of physical activity they're going to engage in outside. So in order to figure out how to help them with some advice... I need to know, do they intend to really work hard going up a mountain, or are they going to take a stroll on a rail trail? Very different degrees of sweat in those two situations, and therefore a different type of becoming cold. When you're sweating, it's natural and normal, but I dress with a base layer that wicks moisture away from my skin rather than putting on a warm layer that just keeps me warm if I'm sitting or being less active. So from the very beginning, the first thing I put on is the thing that matters most in a way, because that will determine whether or not I can handle the chilling moisture that could be caused by doing something with a lot of exertion. And it's really, really fun to exert yourself outside in winter. So for people who would like to, I want to make sure that they have a idea about base layers first, choosing the thing that would wick away moisture, and then having layers on top of them that you can add or subtract according to how much exertion and how much chill you're experiencing. And always have a pack in the back with seconds of everything. So you carry a little pack. It doesn't have to be a huge pack necessarily. If you're just going for day hikes, snowshoes, or spike hikes, but if you're planning something a little longer that includes staying overnight in a tent, that's a different matter. Right. That backpack that you're talking about, I would say that it should be at least big enough to hold your winter coat because you're going to take that off Mm -hmm. as you're going uphill. Yes. I used to hike with the Appalachian Mountain Club in Harriman, and they often stop for lunch. So that creates another bit of a problem with regard to your thermal regulation, as it were. That's true. When you slow down, you begin to chill up. So closing up neck, making sure your neck's nice and warm, making sure your head's nice and warm, that's really important. And keeping it short, unless you're in the sun and out of the wind, you needn't stay and have a three-course lunch, right? You mentioned wicking, that your thermal underwear should have the ability to do wicking. What kind of materials would that be? They um, fall in two camps. The first, which is desirable to have but much more expensive, would be merino wool. The merino wool tops and bottoms are somewhere in the order of 70 to $90 per item. So I'm not quite ready to bring in that type of product here, but I've done synthetics, and it is polypropylene, nylon, easy stretch material, easy to wash and wear. 
oftentimes rayon in it as well. And they're much less expensive, more like the 35 to $40 range. Definitely not cotton. I have made that mistake. It gets soaking wet, and then you're freezing in the wind. True. What equipment should you bring on your winter hike? Besides the warm clothing and layers, I would say the second most important thing to me is to have traction on my footwear. And by that, I mean something spiky that will dig into ice if you're walking on it so that you do not have to be nearly as worried about slipping and falling. I have a love of traction because I like to look up and around me. And in the winter, I'll bet you most of the listeners out there can relate to holding their breath and looking down at the ice as they try to gently (laughs) tiptoe across it. I've gotten into the traction business in a big way for myself and find that in recommending it to other people, they can open up a whole new world of fun for themselves if they would just give it a try. Being able to walk with confidence in the winter where ice is involved is a wonderfully freeing thing. So there are a variety of different tools to help you do that. So I laid out a few items over here, Steph. One of them here, it's very simple device to pull over your footwear to walk really from your house to the car to wherever you're going in town. It's best used on surfaces like sidewalks and roads. The next one that I have here is much better if you have a gravel or rocky driveway and the places that you might be walking are also rocky. This could be simple hikes into trails near where you live. And I carry all of these because everybody has a different situation. These all go over your shoe. And this one, the reason that it's good around rocky and or gravel is because it has a lot of rubber as well as the spiky parts. So it's very enduring around the rough edges of uh, something made of stone. or That lasts much, much longer. It looks like a sandal, basically. It looks like a sandal. Yep. So you pull them up over your footwear and attach it to your footwear. The third one is here because it does all of what I just described, but it's much easier to put on because it's just two Velcro straps. And the reason I have these is because some people just have trouble bending over and putting it on and pulling maybe not as much upper body strength. And so having something that's simpler to attach to your footwear is a big plus. And the last thing that I have here is more for our backcountry hikes or anything where you're going to go further away from the car and possibly a skinnier rocky trail with a little more variety of terrain. And that one is the one that I rent so that people can sample it because it costs $70 for a pair. And I would not have bought them before I tried them. So I thought renting them would be a great way to introduce people to having that kind of gear. And they could test it. Looking at those kinds of equipment, it looks to me like a person who wanted to buy some kind of a gripping over-the-shoe item should come in with those shoes on that they're going to wear for hiking and actually try them on their feet. Yep, thank you, because that is exactly what makes it a successful purchase, is trying it on in the store before you head out the door. Yep. I also forgot to mention that another major form of traction for me are the carbide tips on my hiking poles because I actually don't do a winter hike without them. I love them all year round, but particularly value them in the winter. Can you tell us what the advantages are and how you use them when you're hiking? 
I learned a little something with my son explained about wrapping the strap around the wrist in a way that helps alleviate pressure on your hands. Well, for me, the hiking pole started as a way to be more sure-footed. And the second reason was I had a a little injury to my left knee, and I did not want to have surgery, and I still wanted to go hiking. So I knew that I could intentionally plant the hiking pole to take some pressure off my knee. Those two reasons were fabulous enough, and that's what many people profit from when they begin using hiking poles at last. Americans are dead set against it for some strange reason. (laughs) They think it's a crutch when it's the opposite. It's an enabler. It's like the best tool to enable you to do all kinds of wonderful things. Besides that, I'm able to stand up straighter. I use it as a, I want to say, posture correction tool. (laughs) We spend way too much time tipping forward looking at screens and various things. And to be able to roll my shoulders back, just tip my tailbone down, relax my knees, and begin with good posture using my hiking poles, it's incredible how much more my lungs open up, my heart is opened up, I'm looking up. I'm like a brand new person entering the woods. And I can't say enough for how much it's done for my physical health, my physical well-being, but also the ability to look up has really, really lit up my world. Yeah, it's been wonderful. And you didn't even mention how good they are when you have to cross a stream on a log or when you have to go down a rocky sort of a stairway or up a, a rocky stairway. That's right. Yep, that's um, the downhill is where people need the most help, I find, whether it's um, a wet trail, an icy trail, a snowy trail, a rocky trail that might be tripping you. To be able to have two other points of contact that dig into the terrain and hold you in place is a wonderful thing. I think I also seek to be able to stand more upright so that I am opening up my heart and lungs and I am looking up more. So I use them as my two front legs. And if you're observing anybody else in the woods, you'll see that they're very, very stable and able to constantly look around, maybe for a predator. But nonetheless, I kind of use them as my mentor on how to use my poles. You take the poles because of a knee problem, but I have to tell you that they're wonderful if you have a back problem as well. And they also become kind of a prospecting tool in the wintertime whenever you come across something that might be moving water and you're wondering if there's ice that you might fall through. You use the tip of your pole to check it, bang on it, see how strong it is. It's a really, really useful tool. What about socks? Do they have to wick moisture also? And what about the boots, the hiking boots? And how do you keep the snow out of them? Let's see. So, my gosh, I love talking about socks because socks can make the difference in your happiness outdoors also. There are some people who have never tried a merino wool sock before, and they are in shock over how warm they can stay with a nicely made merino wool sock. When people are sweating a lot, though, merino is great at moving moisture away from your skin. You wouldn't believe how much moisture can be produced by sweating in your footwear. But there's such a thing as a liner sock that's a very skinny polypropylene sock. 
And that worn inside your merino wool sock is even better at keeping your foot dry. So the dry foot is the warm foot in winter. When you can keep it dry because you wick away moisture, that's going to accelerate the warmth of your foot. Yep. Don't those merino wool socks shrink if you wash them or if you put them in the dryer? No, I actually choose brands that have some stretch material in them because actually having a sock that really closely fits your foot right up into the arch and around the heel is much more comfortable over time for your foot. So they have stretch spun into their yarns and it's a really great performance in washer and dryer. Yep, you don't have to worry as much. You haven't talked about the boots themselves. What kind of boots do you need? I guess that depends on the length of your outing. I used my hiking boot, which had a leather upper and was very insulating to my foot. I had merino wool socks under a leather hiking boot. I was out for maybe two hours. I was perfectly fine. When I went to a colder place for a longer outing, I decided to buy an insulated boot. But now the snow's going to get into it. Oh, yeah. So a fabulous invention many, many years ago was the gaiter. That's spelled G-A-I-T-E-R. And it is put over top of your boot and over top of your lower leg. Zips. It's, it's, it's like a tube, I see. With, it's with elastic bands here and there. Yep. It just goes over your lower leg, over the top of your boot, with a cord that stretches under your boot like a stirrup, which holds it down. And it allows you to have your low boot be completely enclosed so there's no gap between the boot and your pants. And it actually keeps the whole lower leg insulated because it's another layer that's waterproof and windproof. And when you take it off, you're just ready to go out to dinner. You're all dry and warm. I have types of gloves. You don't have to be ready for all of that. I would say that wool is a great warming material, natural material. And I would love to see more wool products in the store, actually. So I'm looking for that. It's something that's grown, (laughs) We grow the sheep, we harvest the wool, we make the product. So I'm looking for a little more in that category. To me, the problem with wool is if you're doing something that's likely to get you wet, like shoveling wet Mm -hmm. snow, then the wool does get wet. It isn't so waterproof. True. I was shopping for Christmas presents on the internet, and if you go to the big outdoors suppliers, you can see that gloves can be well over $100, gloves and mittens. Mm So you're telling us, thankfully, that they don't have to be. But I've never spent that much on gear. I just buy it once, and I kind of take care of it. Because I love winter, I just have a few things that are a little bit more expensive because they might be windproof. I really love that you can buy gear to keep you warm on a windy day. It's really a whole lot of fun. Do you have a website? Our website is morgan Dash outdoors.com. I think we have our rental rates there and a little bit about winter conditions soon. We'll we'll try to have more of an update on the homepage. And our phone number here is 845-439-5507. Open five days a week, Thursday through Monday. 
and love to do shoe and boot fittings before we open in the morning. If people have special needs, they should feel free to call so that we can make whatever accommodations help them have a safe and happy experience coming into a store. Now you know about equipment to bring when you go hiking in the winter. We can thank Lisa Lyons from Morgan Outdoors for sharing her expertise. If you have suggestions for other topics and experts for Now You Know, my email address is stephanie at wjffradio.org. This has been Stephanie Phillips for Farm and Country. enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Keith Hubbard and Stephanie Phillips. Special thanks goes to Laura Silverman for her archive segment, What's Cooking? And to our guest, Lisa Lyons from Morgan Outdoors in Livingston Manor, New York. Morgan Outdoors is an underwriter for Radio Catskill. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening to Farm and Country on Radio Catskill. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org It takes the whole community to keep a public radio station on the air. We hope you'll include Radio Catskill in your year-end giving plans. Your support today leads to a greater tomorrow. Make your year-end gift now.